that, and it's an honor to bring God's word to you today as well. So let's turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 8. You know, for me personally, the book of Acts is without doubt one of my favorite books. It is fast-paced. It is action-packed. If you were going to make a movie, I'd probably go with the book of Acts. There is so much going on here. It is wonderful. And for those of you that are newer to the Bible, the book of Acts is really part two of the Gospel of Luke. They're both written by Dr. Luke. The first one is the Gospel. So the first one is written so that we may understand who Jesus is and why he came and what all that means. And then as that book finishes, the book of Acts starts as Dr. Luke really takes us on a journey to help us understand how the message of Jesus, the glories of the gospel, goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's fast-paced, it's moving, it's incredible by very nature. At the start of the book of Acts, then we see people getting saved in their masses. We see crowds of people responding to the glories of the gospel, the realities of who Christ is and what he has done. In Acts chapter 2, we see 3,000 people getting saved. (laughs) Imagine working out gospel communities after that. 3,000 people in a day. We've got to raise some leaders like real quick because they're all coming in. In Acts chapter 5 and 6, we likewise see great multitudes coming to know Jesus as Lord and Christ. People are getting saved left, right, and center. The start of Acts chapter 8, there is revival going on in Samaria. The gospel is already moving from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And great revival is breaking out in a great city in Samaria. And then here in this text, verse 26 through to 38, the whole story slows just for one. The gospel is still moving on from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's crossing ethnic boundaries, left, right, and center. And that means the salvation of this one individual. I've called this message, Home at Last. And we're going to read together from verse 26 through to the end of verse 38. This is the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. 
What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful story we have before our eyes this morning. This mysterious man from Ethiopia who you have called home. Oh Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes today, wherever we're from, whatever nationality we're from, whatever the color of our skin is. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning to see the beauty of what this message all points to. What a Savior you are. What a King you are. What a Father you are. May this all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I showed you at the start of this message in that video a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of traveling to Liberia, West Africa. And what an incredible privilege it really was to visit with them once again. To visit with Diona Thomas, who leads the work there in West Africa. As you remember, he had cancer. And God's kindness, it looks like he may have been healed from that cancer, which we're certainly praying for. He was able to have the cancer removed. And from what they're saying, he will recover. Praise God for that. I was able to preach at the pastor's college. We we're actually looking at church planting and how to plant Sovereign Grace churches in different nations and what that all means. I had the privilege of serving 15 pastors during that time. There's now 10 churches in West Africa from not only Liberia, but Sierra Leone and Guinea. There's one from Ivory Coast as well, who I look into partner with Sovereign Grace Churches and be a part of our global family. So it was an incredible time to be with them. They're planting, uh, planning on planting four churches next year. That's pretty amazing. Four churches. Churches all built around schools that they're investing in. So it was great to be with them. They are humble, godly, incredibly sacrificial men. It was also a privilege to meet our little foster child. Well, not foster child, although she can if she wants to. Our sponsor child in Liberia, a little girl called Success. And I hope she is a success in her life. She's about this big. And so I went and spoke to her and her grandma. I went to their house, which was not really a house, but it was an area and a shed-like structure that she was in. She was so grateful, and I bought her some pure Australian squirm sweets. She was very excited about that. I said, you should be excited. These are, these are top quality. But it was just really neat to be with her and hang with her and meet with her grandma, get to pray with her and to hear her story. For all those of you that are sponsoring children in Liberia, you are making a difference. This place, they have nothing. And your money goes directly to help school them, to help them, to aid them, to keep them healthy, to keep food on the table. They are orphans, so it's a privilege to care for them. So it was, it was great to be there for the people, without a doubt. But the place itself is a tough place to visit. I have never been to a place in my life where there is more poverty. I go to a lot of countries where there is both great wealth and great poverty. You go to Liberia, there is just poverty. It looks almost derelict at different times when you get off and you start traveling around. It's difficult to get your head around all that is going on there. Even when you go downtown Monrovia, um, there are just shops and hotels that have gun bullets in from the Civil War in the 80s and the 90s. Then they had a bowler off the back of that. And you just feel like this country is trying to get off the ground. It's a difficult place because of the poverty. It's a difficult place because of the living standards. Many of our pastors there have a small one-bedroomed house. They have no electricity, no fridge, no freezer, one solar-powered light. That's it. Africa is boiling hot. And I'm like, how do you get your kids to sleep? 
And they smile and say, well, we'll just try and fan them as best we can. And then they just got to go to sleep. Summers sound like they're long and difficult. But that's what people are living in. That's the realities of their existence. And the truth is, when you're there, you're faced with this reality. And it is confronting. And it is difficult, at least for this Westerner, to live in. You then have crime. There is crime everywhere. You see it all the time. I got my phone out at one point and Donnie said, don't get your phone out, put it away. Because he knows somebody's likely to bash me over the head and try and steal it. And one of the things that's very confronting about being there is it's not like you can ask the police for help because the police are just as corrupt as everybody else. When, when we were on the way back to the airport for the final morning, it was four o'clock in the morning, and we went back, it is pitch black because there's no street lamps, and suddenly you're faced with a roadblock, just stones across the road. And you're like, well, what's going on here? It's the police pulling us over. Next thing you know, Diana's handing them some money and then we're driving off. That's the world they live in. That's what they face all the time. It's a confronting place and a difficult place to be in. And so with all honesty, when the trip comes to an end, although I'm aware I'm going to profoundly miss the people and miss the pastors there and long to be seeing them once again, by the time the trip is over, I am certainly ready for home. You know, there's a word in Welsh which is haraith. It means a deep longing for home. And usually by the end of trips, I have a harith, a deep longing to be home. And so a couple of weeks ago, my trip back began. It is some 42 hours to get from Liberia to Sydney. It is a long trip. But after 42 hours, you walk back into your home and you have that elating feeling of being home at last. Because this is my family. And these are my friends. And this is actually my church. And this is where I fit. This is where I belong. And I'm sure you've all experienced that at different times. Just that feeling of being home at last. The peace and joy of being home. And I say all that and use this home at last illustration. Because in a spiritual sense, I submit to you that that is exactly what this Ethiopian eunuch is experiencing here in this moment as well. See, this man for some time has been alone. He is displaced. He is a foreigner in a foreign land. And he feels it. He feels out of place. He's confused, working out who really am I and where do I fit and where do I even belong? And yet by the end of this story, he is home at last. And what a story, what a beautiful story he has to tell. I have three points this morning. Number one, the eunuch. Number two, the missionary. And number three, the response as we just tore our way through this story. But I come to it really with one hope. And it's the hope that for every one of us in the room this morning, we may realize that this experience of being home at last that he endures in this moment isn't just for him. This is here because God wants us all to experience the joy of being home at last. You know, maybe you are here today and you are a foreigner, as am I. My accent is a giveaway. It can be challenging moving to another country. It can be challenging when you leave your family and your friends and everything you know. When I moved to Australia, even the stars were different. It's the southern hemisphere. Where's the northern light gone? It's just very confusing. And when you move to Australia, there are a lot of challenges for that. Are they not? Even more so when the language barrier becomes a challenge. Well, brothers and sisters, if you're a foreigner, I believe this text in particular speaks to you. I believe the Lord has something to say to you to help you understand what it means to be home 
at last. Three points, and here's the first. Number one, the eunuch. We are introduced to this man in verse 27, and this is what we are told. It says, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. There are some things we're told about this Ethiopian that are explicit. There are some things we're told about him that are implicit. So let's make a start as we understand who he is. Number one, he is an Ethiopian eunuch. He is an African man. He is most likely black. Most probably he has been a slave. Maybe he is now a free slave or maybe he's just worked his way up. But the fact that he is a eunuch said five times in this text, is a giveaway that he was a slave because most eunuchs were previously slaves, which is how they got castrated in the first place. And clearly this man here is without doubt carrying some major responsibility in the king's house. Is he a freed slave or has he worked his way up? I am not clear. But what is clear, he has major responsibility in the house of the king of Ethiopia. See, Ethiopians at the time believed that the king was like a god. So the king basically did nothing. He ate, he sat, he would have audiences with people, but he wasn't involved in the actual running of the country. He was like separate from that. He was a god-like individual. And so there was a lady whose title was Candace, who was actually the queen. And she actually ran the country. Candace is not her name. It's actually her title. It's like saying the queen mother or something like that. She's actually the queen. And they called her Candace, given her role. And this Ethiopian eunuch was her treasurer. He was the CFO of Ethiopia at this time. He has worked his way up. He is a big figure. That's why he's going around in a chariot. That's why he's probably got an entourage with him in this moment. He is well known. But here's the thing. He is also lost, and he is alone. See, this man, without doubt, has a seriously traumatic background. He is a eunuch. He has been castrated. He had to live with the shame and tragedy of that for the rest of his life. He would never have a legacy. He would never have children. He would carry the scars in his genitalia of what it meant to not be able to have children. He lived with that. And he was alone, experiencing the tragedy of that with all times. And quite clearly, it would appear as you examine Acts chapter 8, that he is searching for more. See, that's why he makes this trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. It would have taken months for him to get there. But this isn't a holiday. This is a religious pilgrimage. He's on his way there to worship the God of the Jews in the temple. He has heard of this God of the Jews. He is himself a God-fearer. And so he wants to go to Jerusalem to experience it for himself. But you know what would have happened when he got there? He would have discovered that he cannot worship like the Jews. Why? Because in Jewish law, Deuteronomy chapter 23, you cannot go into the temple if you've been castrated. He would have arrived to be ushered to the court of the Gentiles out the back. Sorry, you cannot come here. But you can go out the back if you want. This man was lost. This man was alone. He couldn't even become a full convert of Judaism. 
couldn't even worship properly their God in the temple. And as this eunuch then leaves, it would appear that he is still an outcast, he is still alone, and he's still searching. He still feels like a foreigner in a foreign land. He still knows, I don't know where I fit yet. This just doesn't make any sense to me. Who is this God? How does this all work? Who am I before him? He still doesn't understand. And even his trip to Jerusalem hasn't helped. He feels even more disconnected. Nowhere to go. Alone. A foreigner. In a foreign land. And it's then that in God's kindness that he goes searching for him. It's beautiful. This man is lost, but God in his grace now goes searching for him. And he does it through a man called Philip. We're introduced to Philip in actually in Acts chapter 7. He's one of the seven men that are chosen as deacons in Acts chapter 6. Sorry, Out of the stoning of Stephen, um, he has then been displaced. So if you remember in Acts chapter 6, Stephen is stoned. He's also one of the deacons. He's stoned for his faith. And at that point, so many Christians begin to move out. They are dispersed. They are the dispersion. Well, guess what happens? They take the gospel with them. <laughs> so the gospel begins to go in people's hearts from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And Philip himself starts telling people about Jesus in Samaria. He's telling everybody. What happens? Revival breaks out. This is not a pastor. This is not a preacher. He's just a regular guy in the church. But he's like, I'm going to tell everybody I can. Boom. Revival breaks out at the start of Acts chapter 8 in Samaria. Thousands of people are coming to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This whole city is being restored and reformed for the glories of Christ. And it is then as that is taking place that God interrupts Philip and tells him to make his way to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Imagine God telling that to you. Here's the scene. Revival is breaking out in Warunga, and he is just sending you to the country in northern New South Wales by yourself on a lonely road. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's fruit here. You've got to go. Why? Because there's a man there I want you to meet. A man there that I want to call home to myself. It takes me to my second point, number two, the missionary. Let's check in what happens, verse 26 through 30. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, he, was, he, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? It's such a beautiful scene. The angel of the Lord says to Philip, verse 26, quite clearly Philip is being sent by God. Stop what you're doing in Samaria right now. Just 
Hand it off to somebody else. Let them carry on telling people about Jesus and discipling them in the faith. Because I want you to go to a desert place. You know that lonely road in the middle of nowhere? Yet that's where you're going, Philip. So off he goes and he waits. He's just there. And then it says, verse 29, that the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him. See, when you become a Christian... What that means is the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He's a deposit guaranteeing an inheritance, but more than that, he's also God himself, and he begins to talk to you. That's what it means. He hears that still, small voice. He's just aware. Whether it's an audible voice or a prompting is irrelevant. He just knows, God is addressing me right now. And as this chariot comes past, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go and run along with that chariot. You know, this is one of those scenes in the Bible that for me, minimally, it's quite amusing. You're like, was he really quick or was the chariot really slow? He had this. I remember, I remember the first time I met Marcos because he wanted to go out with Amy. And so he decided he wanted to speak to me as the dad. I thought, this is really cool. It was in COVID, so it was a bit of a strange time. But he said, can I take you out for a walk? I'm like, that's a really weird thing to do. But we can. You can go for a walk. I don't know whether he was nervous or what. But I'm like trying to run along. He's like... He's going so quick, I can, barely, I can barely keep up. I wonder if that's what's happening to Philip in this moment. The chariot comes past and he's like, <laughs> but he's trying to listen and hear what is happening in the chariot. What's going on? And it's clear that he's reading something. So he leans in and says, hey, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says to him, well, no. How can I? Look with me at verse 31 to 35. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was like a sheep he has led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This man in the chariot is reading Isaiah 53, and yet he did not understand it. And so he invites Philip, because he appears to understand it, please come in the chariot with me. We're heading back to Africa, but you can, you're welcome to come. I want, you to, I want to know, what does this all mean? And so he asked him in particular, when it comes to Isaiah 53, in fact, this whole prophetic stuff, who's he talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is this what happened to him? Or is he talking about someone else? And so Philip takes his seat in the chariot in this moment, and he opens his mouth, beginning with this scripture in Isaiah 53, he tells him the good news about Jesus. And my friends, what a wonderful passage of scripture to be in in this moment, from which to tell people about Jesus. Imagine the scene. Philip in the chariot. The eunuch in the chariot. This doesn't make any sense. I can't figure this out. What does this all mean? I even went to Jerusalem. I didn't even feel like I fit there. What is this Old Testament about? This prophecy written 700 years ago. What what does it all 
me. Philip then begins to open his mouth. I submit to you he probably would have likely started in verse 3 of Isaiah 53. In verse 3 of Isaiah 53 we read, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What a joy it would have been to explain to him in this moment. Hey, listen, Isaiah isn't talking to himself. He's pointing to Jesus. He's talking to the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This message was all about Jesus. It was all appointed to Jesus and what he had come to do. When Jesus walked the earth, he was indeed despised and rejected and esteemed not. The Jews, they were waiting for a Messiah and a king, all of them. But they were waiting for a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. And yet Jesus came as a suffering servant. He came to give his life away as a ransom for many. His kingdom was going to be ushered in by laying down his life. And the Jews didn't get that. We're looking for a mighty king, a sovereign king who can come in and beat the Romans up and give us back our kingdom so we can get on with our lives. That's what they're waiting for. Jesus came and said, I'm going to be a suffering servant. So he was despised and rejected and esteemed not. That doesn't make sense. You are not the one we're waiting for. What a joy it must have been for Philip to explain to the Ethiopian eunuch, that was Jesus. They all rejected him. But he was the Christ, the Son of God, the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, the mighty God incarnate. And he did indeed come as a suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6, as the scroll was no doubt continually read by Philip in this moment, we read, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 700 years before Jesus is even born, there is a prophecy that points to how he will be rejected and esteemed not by men, but how he will give his life away as a ransom for many. This is the language of substitution, the substitution that Jesus always said he would bring. I will die for your sins. I will die for your iniquities. I will make a way for you to be right with God. It's the language of substitution, how he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. We didn't esteem him, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It is the language of substitution, a substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus Christ always said he had come to bring. Why? Well, so that you could be forgiven of your sin. So that you could be adopted into the very family of God. So that you could know that heaven would be your eternal future. In headline, so that you, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, could come home at last. Finally be at peace. Finally be at joy. Knowing who you are and where you fit. John 3.16, Jesus himself it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world, all foreigners. It didn't matter where they were from. He so loved the world that he sent his only son on the greatest rescue mission ever told to die a substitutionary death so that through faith in him as our Lord and Savior, we could be home at last. Home with the Father, knowing what it is to be forgiven and made right with him and adopted by him and home at last in this earth. Where? In a place we call church. Home with brothers and sisters and Mothers and fathers and aunties and uncles and nieces and nephews. Home. Home at last. As we wait that day when we will see his face and be home for all eternity. You know, I can't help but think that as Philip is talking to the Ethiopian eunuch on this journey, as in effect the gospel now makes its way in a chariot all the way to Africa. I can't help but believe that he didn't stop at Isaiah 53 and verse 35. In fact, it tells us directly, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with his scripture. So clearly he's carried on. I can't help but think that he probably concluded somewhere in Isaiah 56. Why? Because in Isaiah 56, there's a whole section entitled Salvation for Foreigners. There's a whole section describing how God feels about the foreigner and the eunuch. This is what it says. Verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch. Oh my. What must it have been like for this man, this eunuch, to be addressed now? And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my wall a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. Listen, but my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. What a precious moment this must have been as Philip explains to the eunuch, listen, there is something better for you than sons and daughters. It is a monument in the heavenly realms with your name on, a place where you fit, a place where you know who you are and whose you are, a place where you can be forgiven of your sin and adopted by the Father. You can be home at last through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is a place where you fit. Well, without doubt, as he explains to him the reality that through Jesus, he really can be home at last. A whole message that you can get from Isaiah 53 alone. Quite clearly, this man believes in that moment. He wants to come home. He wants to respond in faith to Jesus, and quite evidently, he does. Look with me at Verses 36 to 38, and this is my third point, the response. It says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. 
See? And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You know, all the way through the New Testament, it isn't baptism that saves you. It never is. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that saves you. But what you do straight after is, guess what? You get baptized. It's a sign and a seal of what God has done. It's a proclamation, if you will, to the Lord and to the one baptizing you and to anybody who is listening. I have become a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus and I'm all in. Why? Because at last I am home. I'm home. I'm right with the Father through Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with God where I know what it is to be forgiven and justified and adopted into his family. And I have a home here in this earth. It is called the local church, where there are brothers and sisters who likewise have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who I now get the privilege from different tribes and languages and nations to call family. I'm home. So I'm seeing some water there, Philip, and I'm thinking, I'd like to get baptized. And Philip, understanding that without doubt, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, goes ahead and baptizes him there and then. An outward illustration and an outward expression of the reality that this Ethiopian eunuch is home at last. Reconciled to the Father and reconciled to people. Giving him a home. A home with the Lord. And a home with me. You know, as this story then concludes, the response of this Ethiopian eunuch is so wonderfully clear. But the question that I believe it asks of all of us in the room is how will you respond? See, this isn't just written to give us some insightful history. It's not written in such a way that says, all I'm doing here is telling you the facts, okay? This is how it went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Just wanted you to know. Interesting. It's not written that way. It's written to give you truth and life. Not only to understand how the gospel went forward, but to see how the gospel still works today and the invitation and the opportunity for every one of us in the room to come home. Home. Home at last. You know, one of the things that struck me again as I studied this text this week is what a wonderful missionary God we serve. See, we can look at this text and think, my goodness, Philip, what a wonderful missionary. And he was, lowercase m. But notice the initiative of God all the way through, capital M, missionary. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, God has sent the angel to send Philip. It is God's initiative, God's pursuit. Verse 29, as Philip waits in the road, the Holy Spirit is then leading Philip. This is the one. Go speak to this one. His time is now. All the way through, God has been preparing this Ethiopian's heart to search for him and go looking for him. That's why he's there in the first place. Where's that come from? It's God quickening his heart, helping him understand there's more for you. There's more going on for you. And then in verse 30, we see God laying Isaiah 53 on this Ethiopian's heart. There are a lot of Old Testament texts he could have been in. 
But in this moment, he just happens to be listening and reading Isaiah 53. You know, when we were looking at the text a few moments ago, you might have thought, well, that's weird. How did he know he was reading it? Well, in ancient tradition, you read it aloud. Even if you were by yourself, you read it aloud. And he just happens to be in Isaiah 53. Listen, we serve a wonderful missionary God. This is a divine setup in this moment. God is at the bottom of it all. And my friends, maybe you're here today because you don't know Jesus. And maybe you're here today because this is your Ethiopian eunuch moment. Maybe this is the day that the Lord has arranged it for you, for your chariot to be going past Sovereign Grace Church. At which point, guys like me, lean in for a bit of a chat. Maybe this is a device set up for you. Because God, for years, has been drawing you to himself. Maybe you've come here with a family member. Maybe you've come here with a friend. Well... Who gave you that family member? Who gave you that friend? You could be anywhere in the world right now. But he's arranged it for you to be here. And my friends, with that in mind, I want to encourage you and lean into your chariot for a moment and simply tell you this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God in his mercy and grace has come after you. He so loves you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, who walked this same earth that we walk now some 2,000 years ago and gave his life up on the cross. Why? So that you could be forgiven of your sin and adopted into the family of God, could be right with the Father and indeed right with his people. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, I was 20 years old when I did that. I was 20 years old when I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'd always heard about the Lord. I'd always been around Christianity. I just wasn't really sure I wanted to follow him. But I was 20 years old when it all became real to me. And when I saw I'm in desperate need of a Savior, and effectively Jesus in my heart was standing right there. And I realized you didn't just come for the world. You came for me. My friends, maybe this is the moment as your chariot goes past that you are starting to realize for the first time your need of a Savior. And so I urge you, put your faith in Him as your Lord and Savior. And you will know what it is to come home. To be right with God. To no longer be alone, to no longer be displaced, no longer be a foreigner in a foreign land, but truly right with God and right with others. Listen, if you are looking for a home, Sovereign Grace Church can be your home. It is hard to be a foreigner here. I remember some time ago hearing about Sydney, Australia, that it is one of the most friendliest places in the world but one of the places in the world where people don't want to be friends. Very friendly. But internationals, you know for well, you can go months, if not years, and never be invited to anybody's home. Because it's friendly. But not pursuing friendship. Well, my friends, that's not the case here. 
This can be a home to you. This can be a place where you can fit. And this is why Jesus Christ has come. To reconcile you to the Father so that you could be home at last with him. And giving you a family here in Australia where you can have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and nieces and nephews and aunties and uncles because you can be home at last. Maybe though you're here today and you're already enjoying this place that we call home. Maybe you already know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So this is a joy for you already. You know what it is to be home with the Lord and home with his people. Well, my friends, I simply want to encourage you then by way of application to be more like Philip. Philip, a man who had a listening ear and a courageous heart and gave his life away then to telling others about this great home as well. Now, praise God that Philip had a listening ear, don't you think? Praise God that he wasn't so busy with a revival that he isn't listening to God at all. This story wouldn't have even happened. Praise God that his life was so in tune with the Lord that he was just basically making sure there was time. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say? Oh, you want me to go to a desert place? I can. Can I have some water, snacks? I mean, what's going to happen? Okay, I'll go. Okay, well, Lord, which one? Praise God that he was a man so in touch with the Lord that he was willing to actually listen to the Lord. You know, sometimes I think for us here, we are so busy, we're not listening well. We must be listeners. If we're going to be effective missionaries, we must be listeners. Praise God for Philip's listening ear and praise God for Philip's courageous heart. Imagine if the Lord said this to you. Hey, go over to that car that stopped at the lights. and just He's got his window down. Tell him all about Jesus. I, you know, we, we hear about those things, but if we're honest, we would go, ah! They're going to think I'm a fruitcake. Praise God that Philip was willing to go, okay, this one, all right, I'm going to trust you, Lord, stepping out in faith. Hey, do you, do you understand what you're reading? The right place at the right time because the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and he stepped forward in faith and courage and stepped into the situation. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, may we do likewise with a courageous heart and a listening ear. May we be like him. You know, Austin finished last week with the 1 Peter 2 verse 9. I want to take you there again to finish. He said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So that, does it so that? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. My friends, with a listening ear and a courageous heart, may this be our story. And may many, many more then Come home at last. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for what it took for any of us to come home. Well, the only way we could come home would be for you to leave your home to pursue us as a foreigner and an alien and a stranger and then to give your life away as a ransom for us. 
Oh Lord, would we never stop rejoicing in the reality of all that you have done for us. And Lord, I do pray for all those who in this moment have not yet come home in you. Oh Lord, would you open their eyes and would you soften their hearts so that they may come home. That they may see you for who you really are and put their faith in you as a Lord and Savior and know what it is to come home. Lord, I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your mercy. There is no greater song than we can sing than the song of you. So may all glory go to you. In Jesus' precious name.